right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Caffeinated Convos and Horrible Bosses. I'm your host, Lauren Williams, founder and chief boss lady of Workplace Harmony, helping companies thrive through times of change, and also co-founder of Williams & Quigley, where we help busy entrepreneurs scale, streamline, and optimize their business while bringing their people along for the ride. So I'm really excited today to be talking with Alex Hillman. Alex is just phenomenal. He's an author, he's an entrepreneur, business owner, doing all the things, has written this super cool book uh, that I recommend everyone read. Even if you haven't started a business, if you're thinking of launching a business, you need to read it. It's a great read. It's a short read. It's something that you'll just will resonate with you for a long, long time. So Alex, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Lauren. Good morning. It's super nice to be here. Me, you and a cup of coffee. For real. Yeah, same. Lots of coffee this morning. Yes, yes. How have you been holding up through everything? How are things going for you? You know, all things considered, uh, it's there's ups, there's downs, but I'm good. I'm healthy. My family is healthy. Uh, you know, it's just about keeping our heads straight and playing the long game right now uh because even though we don't know how long the game is uh i think that's the hard part right like everything's fine but the other shoe could drop at any moment and we don't know how long we're going to be living like this so the now is fine i am fine but that looming unknowableness is i know it's not just me but it's a lot. Right, right. It's heavy. It's a big yeah. thing to carry for sure. Please, I'd love for you to tell our readers a little bit about, you know, what you've been up to and what you're doing about your businesses and especially about the book too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I, as you said, I'm an entrepreneur, which as means sometimes I do more than one thing. So it's tough to do a concise introduction, but I'm going to try. So I split my time between two main businesses. The first one is a co-working community that I founded in 2006. Uh, So for those of you that are familiar with co-working and it's kind of become this amazing global phenomenon, I'm a bit of a dinosaur in that world. Uh, But in 2006, I had quit my job to become a freelancer uh, as a web developer. And I loved everything about that, but I missed having coworkers. I missed having people around and people to bounce ideas off of and to share celebrations with, share commiserations with. And I didn't know who those people were, where they were in my own city. And it seemed easier to find them in other cities besides my own than here. So over the course of about a year from 2006 into 2007, I set out to find those people one by one, build those relationships, get to know those people. And I learned that those people did exist and they were doing really cool things, but they also didn't know who the other people were. And that was one of the other things we had in common. So, you know, this little group of friends starts sort of blossoming into a club and eventually the club wants a clubhouse. And that was the foundation for the co-working space that while in most of 2020 has been closed would normally be our our home. Um, these days our home is online, but ultimately we exist for the same reason today as we did in 2006, which is to help people find each other and support one another. Um, and, you know, in my mind, a community exists to bring people together so that they can create things that they, the sum is greater than the parts, that they can lift each other up and what they do and how they do it is sort of secondary or inconsequential. It's that they are there for each other. A community is people 
indie hall is people. And so, you know, we're in year 14 of doing that. This year has been, we've been through some challenges uh, in the past, but this year has been a, 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 a new one. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this about communities in times of challenges. Um, I think they, uh, what makes a community really shines and shows up when things are hard. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And I think that's true in companies and organizations too. When you face challenges together, you become stronger together, you build bonds, you create solutions together. It's all about how you navigate that and leadership really, really takes the, the, um, the way you approach leadership affects how people do that. Um, but I'm super proud of, you know, the little team that we have. I have a small team of two. They're amazing. They've really stepped up and our community is, is, you know, they're doing what they do best. They're looking after each other in a time where people really, really need that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love hearing that because like you said, right now is a really tough time for people and to have that sense of community and belonging, but where you can commiserate, where you can celebrate, where you can share ideas is so important. And if you've been able to kind of pivot and move that virtually and still give them that sense of community, that's huge. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that we've we've always had online community. In fact, one of the sort of distinguishing factors of our co-working membership mm-hmm. uh, since the beginning, actually since before we had our own space was we had online community. And so we've had online, on, more than 60% of our members almost never come into the space. Mm-hmm. That's always been the case. And now the other 40% never come in. <laughs> um, and so the difference really has been apart from just like, again, the uh, overall mood change of the room um, and the very real challenges that a lot of our members are facing. So like one of the calls I made early on is like, if you need to cancel your paid membership because something happened in your work, your job, you know, lots of remote workers, so they're not even in control of, you know, of those decisions. I was like, the absolute worst time for you to lose your community is now. So just because you cannot pay, does not mean I have to show you the door. No one leaves this community unless they want to during during the pandemic. And and I, if you want to, that's you know no judgment, but that's that's not been the case. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so again, number one priority has been keep the community together, and then close behind that is make sure that we're in a position operationally, organizationally, and financially to still be around when there is a, a future where we can reopen safely, uh, however long that, that needs to be. That's wonderful. That's absolutely awesome. And why don't you say a little bit about the the recent book launch and how that's been going? Yeah. So the other hat that I wear is an education business that I started with my friend, Amy Hoy. Uh, She, like me, she's a designer. I was more of a web developer, but we had similar paths to go from a job to a freelancer, freelancer to consultant, consultant to a product business of some sort. So her and her husband launched a software as a service. I created Indie Hall. We became friends. We were often talking about life and business and how our outlook on life and business seemed to be a little bit different from at least the mainstream concepts of what it meant to start a startup, to start and grow a business and why that was. And about 10 years ago, we turned those conversations into what was initially uh, a very small course and has now become a a number of courses, including our our flagship, a course called 30 by 500. Mm -hmm. And all of our stuff is geared to help people with creative skills learn the business and marketing skills that wrap around the creative skills. So most of our folks are people who know how to make a thing. They can start it 
in some cases they can finish it, but they're not sure how to pick what to create that people would actually want to buy and use, right? What's going to make somebody's life better, work or otherwise in some way. And so that business uh, during COVID has been thriving. As you might imagine, people have time on their hands uh, and some of them have lost their jobs. They're looking for new ways to, to create sustainability. Um, the new project, the Tiny MBA, this tiny little yellow book that I, I, I'm glad you adore. Uh, it sounds like almost as much as I do. Um, and it didn't, uh, it, this project started prior to quarantine, but w was really an interesting one to finish during quarantine. The, the initial goal of this book was to, uh, was to take sort of a hundred, that was a challenge really. We took a hundred a challenge to write 100 ideas, lessons, observations uh, about entrepreneurship, about, and for me, it was what are the things that people ask the most often? Mm -hmm. What are the things that people don't ask, but should, and maybe don't until too late? What are the observations that I've made over the years, you know, between Indie Hall and Stacking the Bricks, I've watched thousands of people start and grow, start and struggle. And then, you know, across all of that, you start seeing some patterns. Um, and so the Tiny MBA kind of sums up those patterns in these really short, literally every page is its own lesson bites. Nice. And the it's been kind of an interesting thing to hear people's response to as well. So we published the book, what is this? It's now the middle of September. So, you know, official launch was about three weeks ago, pre-launch started, I think seven weeks ago. So we're still less than two months of this book being in the world, mm -hmm. um, but we've sold over 2000 copies and the response has been absolutely overwhelming on the positive side uh, in that people are saying like, this doesn't feel like a most business books. Yeah, um, it has a total different vibe. And if you check out Alex's website and see any of the responses, the reviews, the testimonies about the book, are just amazing because it's not like anything you've read. I'm sure everyone out there has read all the business books or like someone said, in you start them and you never finish them because they're not that great. Alex says you just want to read all in one night. Like it's amazing. Well, and the thing is, is like, you don't even need one night, you need a lunch break. So right. this, is a, this is a book that you can finish in about 30 minutes if you read it cover to cover. But my hope for folks is that, you know, my, my two favorite comparisons that, that other people have drawn and I've now sort of taken to sharing is, if you're a, a fan of music and you know the name Brian Eno, um, Brian Eno is an electronic music producer sort of famous from the 70s, very early on. And he created this thing called the Oblique Strategies that I love, I've always loved. Um, and I, I would definitely go out and Google that and check that out if, you, if you're unfamiliar, but it's, a, it's like a deck of cards where each card is a sort of prompt geared towards helping creative people get out of a creative rut. It's sort of meant to realign your brain and think about the problem in a new way. Very cool. And and the pa the pages in the book sort of follow a similar pattern. Another one that I, I this one kind of blows my mind that people drew this comparison, but the Zen cones. You know, if people are into things like you know Zen Buddhism, there's this very old, thousands of years old, now translated through many languages, collection of very short parables that they're not they're not designed to tell you what to do. Uh, as many religions can, but what they are designed to do is 
challenge your thinking and remind you of what's important. And that was really like, for me, the book is not here to tell you what to do or how to run a business. Cause I don't think anyone can. Every business is responding to the unique reality that it exists inside of. We share reality, but your customers have their own reality and your, your own skills and access and reach and resources. So like all those variables means that every business, there is no one size fits all. And so a book that presents itself as one size fits all feels, uh, unrealistic, I guess. And so instead I wanted to provide something that just reminds people of fundamentals that are universal through many different phases of business, many different kinds of business. And many of them are not even about what I'm saying. It's about what I'm saying and how it makes you feel, how it makes you think, what questions you, or what answers you come up with to the questions. And I feel like that's part of why people have responded to it because let's be honest, nobody likes being told what to do. Right. Um, and right. so to have something that challenges you to ask and answer those questions yourself and help you come up with better answers yourself, I think everyone, no matter where you are in the business scale or spectrum, can benefit from taking 30 minutes over a lunch break to pause, flip through a few pages and go, okay, I, I do need to think about this differently. Or it's clear to me why that thing wasn't working. Now I have some clarity and I can create a new answer or a new result. Right. Right. You're just putting something out there so it reframes their perspective. You're not saying you should do this and this will work. Like that's what's refreshing about it is it just does challenge people's thinking and also does cause you to pause and say like, Oh, I never thought about it that way. So that is huge. That is just absolutely amazing. Um, diving in here, I don't know as an entrepreneur if you've ever had a boss. So I'm really interested to hear if you've ever had a horrible one, um, especially given kind of your career tenure and what you've been up to. I mean, if you started in web development, maybe you did, but I'd love to hear your horrible boss story. Yeah, no, I, I have definitely had bosses. And I mentioned that, you know, I left a company to go out on my own. And that was in part because of my boss, um, you know, and, and I think what's interesting about my my personal horrible boss story is I had actually worked with that horrible boss previously and we had a great relationship. Oh, yeah. Um, so the the company where I started in web development, I was actually I went to Drexel University here in Philadelphia. And one of the reasons I went to Drexel was the co-op program. Mm -hmm. It's the opportunity to learn on the job is very much my style. It's probably maybe one of those early clues of entrepreneurship, learning on the job. Um, and so for my second co-op, I got a job at this, this digital agency. We were making websites that people actually used. It was like, it was so cool. It was like the, the definition of cool job. And I had the most amazing coworkers. And that company went through sort of a rise and a fall um, in, in a fairly short period of time. They were on the rise while I was there. Uh, they grew very, very quickly. Uh, they went from like 50 to 150 employees inside of nine months. Difficult. Well, yeah. And their and priorities shifted and leadership shifted and all of those things that, I mean, you work in this space. I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what broke um, without me having to tell you. And there was an exodus, there was a collapse. And I, I loved this company and these coworkers so much, I hung on for dear life. And when they finally ended my contract, I was like, well, what do I do now? I don't really ha have a network in this industry other than this company. And so I started reaching back out to people who had left, which oh. included a, a group of about six former employees of the same company who had spun off into a new agency. And I, I 
give them a call. I was like, hey, what's going on? They're like, uh, not much. How are you? And I was like, just left uh, work for the last time. Can I swing by for a quick chat? And so this wasn't even a job application so much as I kind of rocked up to the office and I was like, hey, remember me? Uh, I'm suddenly <laughs> available. And I actually ended up being their, their first full-time employee uh, for, for a brief period of time. That's exciting. But what I learned is that the way people interact and tr treat each other when they are coworkers is not the same as the way they interact and treat each other when they have a position of power. And my direct boss, who was someone who I had a good relationship with at the previous company, was now basically the C-level of technology at this now small, but, you know, very ambitious firm. And he was drunk on power. Is there's, there's no two ways to put it. And, you know, didn't have a clear North Star. And I, I can say a lot of this postdoc, I didn't know why it was so stressful at the time. I just, what I can say now is there was no North Star. It was all reactive, responsive, doing whatever the client asked for, never pushing back. Uh, and then that would, you know, that, pardon my French, that shit would roll downhill and hit me. And, you know, even as the team grew, because I had been there for a while, it would come to me. And I think part of it was, he felt like it could come to me because we had that relationship previously but the the dynamic had changed so much we were no longer peers it was it was positional and 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 it didn't work mm. and so it was a combination of me like really disagreeing with his a lot of his decisions but him not wanting to hear it from somebody who he perceived as below him oh that's awful right? yeah and yeah. and and then on top of that you know there were a lot of conversations where I was like, look, it's pretty clear that we need we need some team leadership as we're growing out some of these projects. And I don't, haven't done that before. That's not my expertise. I won't pretend, but I really want to learn. And so there was lots of promises that I could, you know, on the next project, I could lead the team and then it wouldn't happen. Yeah. And, and, it, and it became a pattern. And it went, what, was, what sucked about it was I loved the work for the most part. And I could verify that I loved the work because I was doing the same kind of work as a freelancer. And I could go home and build mm -hmm. websites and and have, and stay up all night because I loved it. And at work, I, I would just like, you know, it was, it's like the when you're in, in grade school and like you'd stare at the clock and it would just like, it felt like it wasn't moving. During the day doing the same thing where somebody else was in control and the way they were making decisions I not only disagreed with, but that we couldn't, we could not find common ground and that the, the and, and the relationship had been so broken. Um, it, it was, it was miserable. And it was the thing that made, it was the biggest thing that pushed me to say, if I'm happy in the evening with my moonlighting work and miserable during the day, doing effectively the same thing. And the only thing that's stopping me from making the same or more money in moonlighting is this pesky day job that's driving me, you know, nuts. Why wouldn't I just peace out of here mm -hmm. and go do my own thing? And, and that's what ended up happening. That's amazing. I think it's amazing for a couple of reasons though, to have the um, kind of foresight say, I need to do this. I need to follow this. This brings me joy. This gives me flow in my work. This makes me extremely happy. This part of the day stuff isn't making me extremely happy. It doesn't feel good. I work for a jerk and then I'm left cleaning up the mess he makes or dealing with his reactive nature versus someone who's going to cultivate me and 
elevate my game and help me. So I just think that's awesome. It's a scary jump to make for sure, but it, it sounds like it was the right choice for you. Um, and it sounds like you definitely learned a lot about leadership through that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can say, I can say for certainty that that experience has informed the kind of boss that I am. Like, I've, like I said, I've got a small team, mm-hmm. um, but it's so important to me that they feel like they can push back. If they disagree with my decisions, I want to hear it. Um, and, and, and ultimately like I hired them because they're good at what they do. Right. I should trust them to do their job. And I also, I mean, I've said to them point blank, I'm like, if I'm ever driving you crazy, you have permission to tell me and like, we can work together on what I need to change. Cause ultimately I'm here to support you, right? Mm-hmm. You're here to support the business. But if I'm doing my job, it's to help you do yours. And there's absolutely a direct line from that experience where I did not feel that. And that's why I went out on my own yeah. to now I'm in a position where I can make an experience better for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's it's important to me. And I, I think that negative experience is a big part of why. Yeah, I completely agree. What about flipping it on the other side? The best person you ever worked for or a really great leader you had the pleasure of knowing in your career? Yeah. So actually, we'll go back to that that first company, uh, the agency that went through the rise in the fall. Uh, I had a boss um, and I'm going to I'm going to name her by name because she is amazing. Her name is Sherry Alexander and uh, Sherry was my my co-op mentor effectively and she took me who was eager to learn but knew so little and she provided a, a space for me to learn and grow and be challenged and to take on projects that were probably just beyond my threshold of capacity, but to treat it as, to treat it and frame it as a challenge and to, to show that she trusted me. That's great. That I, could, that I could learn and that she could provide me with learning resources. I mean, again, I think about so many things in my career that have informed other parts of my work and the culture. And, you know, there's there are, there are authors whose books I read on the first day of work because Sherry gave me a book. And those authors are people who heavily influenced my work, not just as a web developer, but as a creative person and an entrepreneur. And now 15 years, almost 20 years later, some of those people are my friends. And I can track that back to Sherry introducing me to those people and saying, this is your pantheon. These are people worth looking up to. And to have a boss who did never for a day treated it as here is what, you have it's not it was never I never felt like she was telling me what to do she was telling me what needed to do and that that distinction and that leadership style again I think about the things that inform the way I lead uh uh, now um I owe a lot to Sherry and actually in the last uh 12 months or so maybe it was a little bit longer but sometime last year Sherry and I got a chance to catch up on a on a video chat and just hear how things are going and um it was really really nice to be able to say thank you Oh, that's great. Who at the time, I mean, I don't know if she, she, she had said when we caught up that she, you know, had a lot of fond memories of the way we worked together. And I don't know how many other co-ops that she got to have that relationship with, but um, I was able to say to her with confidence, like I said, you know, there's so much good in my career that 
even if the through line's not obvious to you, I can connect it to the way you handle the situation or something you suggested I try. Um, you know, she, she definitely um, emboldened me with a sense of experimentation on the internet too. And the idea of like, if you don't know how to solve a problem, the answers are there. You just kind of got to go look for it, poke at it, try it and figure it out. But the other part that she, she, I think, um, you know, I honestly don't remember if she told me this explicitly, but the people she told me to follow certainly did, which is to share what you know and share what you learn along the way. And uh, obviously that had supported her. Uh, it supported me and it became a big part of my business and ethos to you know, write and blog as I'm going along to record podcasts and things like that. And to make a big part of my work, you know, whatever I'm learning, if there's a chance that could be useful to somebody else, I want that out on the internet because I, you know, I want the sum of my work to extend beyond me and be in the hands of other creative people, other entrepreneurs who are, you know, a, a few steps behind coming up going, oh, I'm not the only one who ran into this problem. And now I can, you know, not shortcut it, but I can understand the solution a little bit faster and then get back on my way. And hopefully my hope is that they feel that and pay that forward as well. Alex, that's such a powerful story and such a testament to Sherry as a leader and the fact that you saw all the ways she was empowering you, but then you use that and you're able to apply it and you were able to go back and thank her because a lot of times we have guests on the podcast who know the favorite boss, can name them, name the years they worked with them, haven't had the chance to go back and say thank you. And I think that goes a long, long way. And I think that's just such a cool story. Thank you for being so open and sharing that with me and our listeners. That's just great. Uh, I'd love to also ask you, well, two more things. I want to find out what you're drinking. I know you're a coffee drinker like me, and we're both kind of close to Philly. So are you a big Wawa fan? Are you a La Cologne fan? So we actually have a custom roast of coffee for Indie Hall that I'm drinking. No way. Um, we have a collaboration with with uh, Herman's Coffee in, in uh, Pennsport, who are amazing. And actually, Herman's is, was founded by a former Indie Hall member, cool. um, Matt Falco, and their coffee is amazing. And so... Uh, we have a, a custom roast that they did just for us called JFBI, uh, Just Effing Brew It, which is a little pun on my mantra, Just Effing Do It. I love uh, and it. And so I'm drinking myself a cup of Just Effing Brew It. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh my gosh, that's the greatest ever. That's the greatest ever. And could you also tell everyone where they should find you, where they should grab the book, and if someone wants to talk with you, how do they get a hold of you? I would love to. So I am most active online on Twitter, uh, at Alex Hillman on Twitter. Come say hello. Uh, that's my my online watering hole. That's that's the local bar for me, uh, especially these days. <laughs> um, uh, the Tiny MBA is available at tiny.mba, which is a super easy to remember domain, uh, available in paperback that ships internationally uh, in ebook format as well. And actually, if you buy the paperback, you get the ebook as well. So you can read the ebook right Right away while you're waiting for the paperback to show up and then I encourage people to read this book multiple times because each time you read it it looks a little bit different so that was very much on purpose I also love email I'm one of those weird people that really love getting emails <laughs> so if you buy the book you read the book and you, something resonates with you I want to hear about it if you buy the book and are confused by something I want to hear about it uh, so you can email me alex at tiny.mba and uh, and let me know what you know how this book 
looked and felt to you. Uh, getting those emails has been one of my favorite parts of this entire experience. Uh, we've gotten quite a few of them already and um, I'm hoping to hear from some of the listeners of this show. That's wonderful, Alex. And one final question I have that I want to throw out there is out of all hundred hacks and tips in the book, what's your favorite? It's a good one. I have to pick a favorite. Well, I hear, I mean, I'm going to let the favorite speak for me because there's actually, it's on my computer desktop. Um, one of the things that uh, the designer that I worked with to produce the book, her name is Hannah Litvin. She's a Philadelphian as well. She's awesome. If you're making a book uh, or want to make a book and want to hire a designer, Google Hannah Litvin and she's fantastic. One of the things that we decided to do was pick a few favorites and actually illustrate the the quote in sort of like a cool topography thing. And so my favorite one that I have is a, 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 a background on my desktop and we actually include phone and computer desktop backgrounds when you buy the book as well, is that audience building is really just earning trust at scale. Right, people think of audience building as this really kind of big, lofty, scary thing. And at the end of the day, you know how to build trust with individuals. Audience building is just doing that at scale, which means thinking about process, thinking about repeatability, thinking about how helping one person has the potential to help tens or hundreds or thousands or more. That's all doable. We talk about that in the book, uh, talk about that in a lot of our articles as well. I think that one's my favorite. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Alex, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing all the things today. I am so glad we were connected. I'm so glad you were able to be a guest. I can't wait to learn more about you. I can't wait to connect further with you. And I'm excited for our guests to also check out your book. So uh, best of luck to you. Keep on grinding and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Lauren. I'm glad to be here and I hope you have a great rest of your day.